0: We're going to be talking a lot about seeds. That's what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 13. And we find that seeds are a very significant topic for Jesus as he teaches his disciples. Um, but as Jesus teaches them in, in these parables in chapter 13, the disciples weren't all that concerned about seeds. They seemed to have something else on their mind, and that was the kingdom. They wanted to know about the kingdom of God. So they, they had that burning question. What about this kingdom? Now, now they already knew that Jesus was going to be instrumental. In initiating this kingdom. Even back as early as John chapter 1. We see Philip had found Nathaniel. And told him then. That uh, come. you know, we, we found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And. They knew that Jesus was going to be very, very uh, significant in implementing the kingdom. But they didn't know exactly how that was going to work yet. They didn't know everything that was entailed in building this kingdom. Um, they were also, in many ways, very spiritually immature. If you remember, it was John and James that at one point wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans. Not only that, they were. Um, at times hard of heart they would at one point in, in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus said beware the leaven of the Pharisees th- that's the influence beware of the influence, the leaven of the Pharisees all they could think about is man, we've only got one loaf of bread amongst us they were hard of heart then there were times when they were quite selfish They would argue with one another who was going to be greatest in this kingdom. They were distracted by this burning question. They said, Lord, we want to know about this kingdom. They're envisioning a new kingdom for Israel. They had been exiled to Babylon, and they were back, and the temple was rebuilt, and they wanted to know about this kingdom. No wonder. Jesus spent a whole lot of time talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Everyone was excited about it. Listen to what Jesus said concerning the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. also says he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. People were thinking kingdom, healing. That's good. That's good. We want some of that. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People are thinking, righteousness. Boy, we're lacking righteousness. Boy, bring on this kingdom. We'd like to see some righteousness for a change. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus was telling them, truly I say to you, there are some here who are are standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God has come with all of its power. Israel's thinking, yeah, power. We, We need some of that power. We need the kingdom installed with some power. Of course, Jesus was talking about what immediately came after that was his transfiguration. That they were going to see the power of God in Jesus' transfiguration. John 3.3, 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus ran into a, a pretty bright young scribe. And the scribe is, is repeating what Jesus had said. He goes, you're right, teacher. You've truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself. He told Jesus this is more important than any of the burnt offerings or sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, Jesus told him, You are not far from the kingdom. Where is this kingdom? We need a kingdom. Looking at the Gospel of Matthew alone, we find roughly 50 occasions where the kingdom is mentioned. So the disciples were very excited about it. Can you sympathize with them? They've been with Jesus for three years now. Listening to him, watching him heal, performing miracles, hearing wisdom like they'd never heard before. During all this time, you're you're patiently waiting for the kingdom. Imagine now Jesus has been risen from the grave. He's been crucified for our sins. He's died, dead, buried, and he's raised, and they see him. They're there with him. They're observing him. They're listening to him. They want to know what's his next move. Here's what Jesus says. In Acts chapter 1, he says, To these, me and the disciples, he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, Lord, as it, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? What about this kingdom? He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to all the remotest parts of the earth. Immediately following this conversation then, Jesus is received out of their sights, you know, the, you know the account, into the clouds. And all the disciples could do at that point was just wait to see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Apparently, they missed something. Perhaps they misunderstood something. Their hopes and dreams were that the kingdom of God was going to be established by Jesus in an instant. I don't know how they figured that was going to happen. I don't know if they thought that there was going to be uh, a military battle or I- if there's going to be some sort of just spiritual revival. Some religion, religions, believe it or not, believe that the kingdom will be brought in by reproduction and procreation, by people birthing others into a certain line or a certain sect or a certain religion. But the t- disciples failed to understand is after all Jesus' instructions about this kingdom, it wasn't going to be established in an instant. It wasn't going to be by military conquest. It wasn't going to be by financial leverage. It wasn't going to be by political power or through establishing alliances. No, that's what the world would do. That's how the world functions. That's, That's what you'd find with people like Alexander the Great or Attila the Hun or... Napoleon. That's how the world does things. You no, know, Christ had taught them already a very different methodology. They just hadn't listened all that well. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is going to be brought in by scattering seed. Now, of course, we, we know, we've come to understand through reading scripture that Jesus was not specifically talking about the, the physical kingdom here. Uh, that will come later. But he was providing a mechanism for populating that kingdom. He was getting people ready to enter that kingdom by redeeming millions of people who are going to spend eternity with him. That's what we're working on now. That's where we are in the church, capital C, the big, the broader church of Christ. Spreading seeds is the model that Christ taught throughout his ministry. And that's where we find ourselves in the parable of the sower. Instead of revolutions and battles, Christ employs fishing and farming. Looking at the parable, and you can stay in in Matthew 13 uh, most of the day today, we'll do most of our work there, Uh, any farmer today would pull out his hair if he knew that 75% of his seed was going to go to waste. In the the region where I grew up with all the farms amongst there, they had a term for that. It was called bankruptcy. (laughs) Yeah. But fortunately, God doesn't hold us responsible for the placement of the seed. Uh, That's not the point of the parable. We're simply just told to sow. Uh, The apostles, like Paul, sowed the good news among a whole lot of people. And a whole lot of people rejected them. A whole lot of people persecuted them. It was never Paul's responsibility to determine beforehand whether a person was willing or not to hear the gospel. Uh, it was his responsibility to proclaim it. In fact, the parable of the sores is not so much about the seed. It's really not about the seed. Uh, that's identified by Jesus in his interpretation as the word of God. That is the seed. Uh, this parable is all about the condition of people's hearts. Jesus is teaching us what we should expect when we scatter seed. There are going to be broadly or generally four types of responses. Um, I'm certain a large part of the reason he told this is to encourage us. I take a whole lot of encouragement from this parable. Um, I don't have to discern people's hearts before I share the gospel with them. I don't have to know whether they're rocky soil or whether it's going to be snatched away or anything. All I have to do is toss it out there the seed. Be discerning. Be gentle. Be reverent. Um, It's not my job to discern what their condition is. Some of the people I know, um, it just pops into my head. Greg Laurie uh, is on the radio a lot. If you've heard him preach, a West Coast preacher. He does Harvest Crusades which goes across the country. When he was youth, um, teenager I believe, probably 18, 19, the story of him being first told about Jesus Christ, um, he was wearing a black t-shirt, he was a tough guy, thought of himself as a tough guy, uh, cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve, and uh, he was watching people go around from the Bible college and share with others. He said they never come and talk to me. He said I was so lonely. He said I wanted so badly to hear what they had to say. I was. I, it was all the front, as he speaks about himself. So we don't have to determine by what a person looks like uh, on how we scatter it doesn't affect that uh, we, we don't determine their heart we can't change their heart And anyone here change a depraved heart I can't that's God's job God is the one who does the divine open heart surgery we talked about that in Colossians previously just a few weeks ago um, so in the staff meeting during the week on Tuesday we don't, just, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about how to change people's hearts may sound kind of funny kind of not funny ha-ha but funny absurd. There exists a number of theological encampments out there who accept that it is their own responsibility to generate a person's response to the gospel. Um, some may employ special music or create an artificial uh, emotional atmosphere or perhaps exert some sort of peer pressure on people to force them but the response is not our doing. It's not our work. The Holy Spirit is the one who's working in people's hearts. He's the one who's generating the response. Uh, that also brings up a thought. There was a church in Plano, Texas, north side of Dallas. This is important. They made the news about their tactics, and they were growing large, very large. They had a, a lot of uh, upbeat music, a very large uh, attendance, wasn't very deep from what I understand. I never attended there. But there, uh, they had a process for baptism. And what they would do, I'm not kidding, is they would get a lot of very emotional music going, would kind of get people into an emotional uh, state where they were, I would say in a way, vulnerable. They would have the lights turned down. And then they would have a baptism on stage. I think they still do it today. Uh, and they would call people up to come and go immediately into baptism. But here's what they do. They had people planted in the congregation that would get up to start this momentum. They had people who had done this repeatedly, and they would be the ones to get out and say, come on, let's go, let's go. And they would walk up, and people would walk through being baptized one after another. It's kind of manipulation. That's emotional manipulation. That's not what we're called to do. We are are to have a sense of urgency. No doubt about that. When you listen to Peter uh, on the day of Pentecost, and he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Certainly, we need to urge people to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's not our responsibility to manipulate them or work on their emotions to cause a response. Um. What our church does do, we scatter a lot of seed. Um, now I realize a number of you have already seen many of these and, and I'm going to profile here very briefly, try to, but it came to my attention in the last couple weeks that a lot of people have returned from uh, vacation, they've been on up north, and I just found out a lot of people really don't know that we have uh, started doing some of these things that are seeds, they're ways to reach out, so I'm just going to throw a couple at you quick that we've started recently this is called a connection card you can get them in the back they have our logo, it says take the first step some of you have seen this, some of you have never seen this before it says step towards community compassion Christ, join us Sunday at 1030, has a map on the back I've used these uh, convenience store the clerk working there, especially if there's no one right behind me and I've been there a couple times she's seen me, I say you know what, I've seen you a couple times can I invite you to church? I have something to leave with them. Doesn't have a scripture on it. Not really a seed, but effective. effective. People always receive it. Then we've got the door hanger. Very similar. You put on your neighbor's doors. You can walk around. A lot of people didn't know we had these. I know you've seen these before, but it has a gospel, abbreviated gospel presentation on the back. You can knock on their door, invite them to church, leave it with them, or just hang it on their door. That's something for you. This is a gospel tract there is a gospel presentation in this these also are all by both doors out here and uh, they get stocked by people who just want to buy these for others to use and and use them themselves people want you to use these people go out and buy this type of stuff this one says your ticket to heaven I walk up to people and I say here's your ticket to heaven have you ever gotten one of those hardly anybody most say no But it's a great bridge. I leave it with them, tells them about Jesus. It's good to write your phone number on the back, put the name of the church or something on the back. We heard at the uh, annual meeting, Nathan brought up, uh, he carries those Gospels of John, not a lot larger than this, just a little thicker. And we've seen people who've called a year later to some of our members because they went back to the phone number inside there and uh, had texted and said that they were pulling it out and reading it a year later after it had been given to a waitress. So there's these seeds that are scattered all, are able to be scattered everywhere, gospels of John, gospel tracks, door hangers, uh, our website, Facebook. A lot of you don't know we're doing this. Standing each week during rush hour on Friday, on uh, Gatlin, and and corner of Gatlin and Savona. This is some of the most fun I've had, and I'm not kidding. You get honks, you get waves, you get thumbs up. Once in a while, you get cursed. It's a seed. It's the word of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Rita and I uh, go out, now we're going out there about 430. We've had people join us. Gerald loves going out there. Gerald's sick today. Um, there are all kinds of seeds. There's all ways to scatter. As you practice these, you're going to experience different responses. As you do this stuff, you're go- they're going to be positive, some of them. Others are going to be negative. That's okay. Uh, Jesus is telling us that's what we should expect. There are four general broad terms of, of, of categories of responses. Only one of them is going to reply uh, and, and k- persevere. Um, Scattering is what we do. That's what the church does. Uh, Jesus doesn't give us a pass on this. Uh, what he does allow, he allows us our freedom and creativity and our imagination to, to make up all kinds of new ways to do this stuff. We're given all kinds of latitude and being creative. I expect there's going to be apps on your phone before long if you're within a certain range of someone. The world will use it for giving them a coupon. We'll use it for giving the gospel. Who knows what will come up? But Pastor Weiler and I get the opportunity to talk about this a lot, as you might ex- expect, and uh, witnessing for a healthy church never goes away. Um, it's not the flavor of a month. It's not something like, oh, yeah, I remember back a few years ago when, when we did that for, you know, a month or a quarter, and we did that, you know, outreach thing. No, it's not a been there, done that, uh, inviting people to our church or sharing the gospel, or reaching others is a perpetual model. So though our approach may change, our tactics may change, may improve, uh, the principle is foundational to our existence as a church. The church either does it or, or they slowly fade away. So in a review of scripture, it's quite easy to discern that the kingdom of God The kingdom of heaven, is going to be initiated through witnessing, through scattering seed. This is our kingdom work. The apostles didn't quite get that picture right off the bat, but it's symptomatic. Outreach is symptomatic of Christ's kingdom. It is a non-negotiable of Christ establishing his reign. The fun about it is, uh, the fun, when you're you're seeing people respond, and, and be honest, I'll be very honest, if I'm holding up a sign out there, I don't care if they go to another church. I pray God leads them to a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church. I'm just scattering a seed. I want to see them grow in Christ. If it's not here, that's fine. But we're certainly going to give them an opportunity to come here and hear about Jesus. What's what's fun about new people coming in, when you have visitors and you have people start to plug in, is it just makes life a whole lot easier. Having new people come in... uh, brings all kinds of talent. It brings all kinds of new expressions and new personalities and joy that comes from that. Uh, it helps pe- helps us. Uh, there's less stress. I think of Gerald this morning. Gerald, just sick, couldn't be here. Uh, Miss Gerald. But praise the Lord, we've got Bruce and Nathan that can step in. We've got talented men that can just step in and do it. So when the text came in this morning, Gerald says, I'm not going to be there. He, he did tell us he was sick yesterday, but he said he's not going to be there. I didn't stress about it. I know, I, I know it's not going to be a problem. If someone's sick on the piano, we know we got people that can step in. So new talent brings joy. Bringing people in, building the kingdom, brings a lot of refreshment with it. There's also another symptom of the kingdom, and it seems to escape. escaped The notice uh, of the apostles the disciples at that time um, after the parable of the sower we find that Jesus provides another parable that is in the mustard seed that's in verse 31 and the parable goes like this Jesus presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field and it is smaller than all the other seeds but when it is fully grown it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, unlike the parable of the sower, Jesus did not in Scripture provide a specific interpretation for this parable. There, of course, is a lot of mystery concerning, there's not a lot of mystery concerning what a mustard seed or a tree looks like. So many people are immediately drawn to these birds. Who are these birds that come and nest in its branches? There's one camp that says these birds are representative of evil, um, that they're false converts or teachers or satanic influences that come into the church to try and disrupt or thwart the building of God's kingdom. There's some merit to that uh, interpretation. As we look into the context of this parable, Jesus had just finished the parable of the tares that were sown in among the wheat. Um, it's painfully evident not only from Scripture. Uh, But from experience, there's a lot of enemies of the kingdom of God that are nesting in the kingdom's branches. So that's not a horrible explanation. Um, However, we can observe that Mark and Luke also record the parable of the mustard seed, and in that they don't provide the same parable of the tares. So it doesn't seem like it's essential to have that context in order to interpret this parable. It's not essential to be talking about tares among the wheat, The other camp suggests the identity of these birds can be better discerned by the fact these birds nesting is a partial quote from both the prophets Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, Ezekiel prophesies of a new tree. He's given a vision of this new tree that God will plant in Israel. He says in chapter 17, On the high mountain of Israel I will plant it, that it may bring forth bows and bear fruit and become a stately cedar, and birds of every kind will nest under it, and they will nest in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. This combined with a similar statement in Psalm 104 leads a lot of people to think that this, this is viewing the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. That these birds are, are the Gentiles. All the unreached people that we're going out to are going to be in this kingdom. That's a valid interpretation as well. Um, Prophets and deceivers are going to come into the church. Gentiles are going to come into the church. They both work. um, I don't think either of these is crucial to understanding the parable. The birds are not the main point of this parable. The point is the size of a mustard seed and what it will become. The mustard seed was the smallest of all the known seeds in the region at that time, that's a mustard seed. That's the size of it. Jesus says, "This is what it's like when it starts. This is what it's going to begin like." And um, at its inception, on the world scale, the church was very, very tiny. We had what 120 people in the upper room when uh, on the day of Pentecost that were praying. I'm sure there were others in Samaria that had come through the uh, woman at the well. I'm sure there were others there. But it was very very small as far as the world scale. It was not an influence. Very insignificant. But that tiny seed has something marvelous inside of it. Absolutely marvelous. It's been programmed by its creator with DNA that has something much bigger. That is what a seed can become Jesus is saying it may start really really small but it's going to get very significant do we have one more look at this one bam the kingdom of God is going to be marvelous it's going to be huge it is going to be massive all the genetic information for a full sized tree was sitting in that little seat. It is the same with the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said, though it starts small, that the DNA for building that kingdom is there um, from the very beginning. The DNA is the gospel. The DNA is the word of God. But just like a mustard seed, it's going to take some time to grow. It's not going to be instantaneous as the disciples had hoped. kingdom representative this size is going to take centuries to grow. It's going to take a long time. But it's going to be significant. It's going to be all kinds of birds and animals sh- taking shade under it. Um, but when it's fully mature, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to consummate the kingdom. He's going to establish his reign and his physical kingdom. Here's the problem that we have. <laughs> Have you ever watched a tree grow? Try it this afternoon. Go out in your backyard. Choose a tree. And watch it grow. It's not very much fun watching something grow that small, is it? It's easy to just grow tired of it. Maybe like some of you are probably growing tired of this sermon. But the problem is we get impatient, we get distracted, we had a tendency to be lulled asleep by watching this tree grow. It's easy to become tired with the church. Everything just moves so slow. I'm tired. But listen to what Jesus himself says concerning this in, in Mark chapter 13. He says, but of that day and hour no one knows... Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or When the rooster crows, or maybe in the morning. Be an alert in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, Jesus says, be on the alert. Listen also to what Christ is going to do when he returns. This is when Christ returns. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 He says if anyone wishes to have to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and he says this for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels then he will repay every man according to his deeds he will repay every person according to their deeds. The context of this passage does not at all suggest that Christ is going to be doling out punishment here to evildoers. That's not what he's talking about. Um, He's going to be giving out rewards for faithful and sacrificial service. He's going to reward people, individually I might add, for their faithfulness in scattering seed and playing wonderful music and Serving the church, making this a welcoming place and every type of ministry. He's going to reward them for their faithfulness. And in Christ, this is his final words now. If you've got your red letter Bible, you know this is the last thing that Jesus will say to you in your Bible. In Revelation 22, verse 12, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. My reward is with me. To, re- to render to every man... Or woman, according to what he or she has done, bringing his reward. He's going to be rewarded according to what's done. This is—I know this is sensitive. This is sensitive because, as coming originating from the Protestant side of things, we're always wanting to be real careful about this because we don't want people to think they're earning their way into heaven. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. But what does that say after that? But we are his workmanship, designed for good works. So though we, we don't enter heaven, we don't in any way earn our salvation through works. We are intended to do good works afterwards, and we are going to be rewarded for our works according For what each one has done. I read a book a while back by Woodrow Kroll. He used to be on the radio with Back to the Bible, uh, retired now. Just a very, very godly, intelligent, humble man. And uh, he was very instrumental in my coming to faith in Christ, listening to him on the radio. And uh, he has this book, it's called Facing Your Final Job Review. Then there's a subtitle The Judgment Seat of Christ Salvation and Eternal Rewards this book is all about what is the judgment seat going to look like what does the bima seat the reward seat look like it's going to be amazing each one is going to be rewarded according to their deeds What it, what his premise is in the book really is you know how we all get very annoyed at participation ribbons when it, when our kids go or grandkids go to a uh, a race And whether they finish in 30 seconds or 5 minutes or whatever, a lot of people are like, you know, I'm just really tired of these participation certificates, participation trophy. Not everyone did the same. There aren't going to be any participation ribbons in heaven. We're going to be rewarded according to what opportunities we've seized. You need to know that. Jesus talked about rewards all the time. He says, store up your treasure in heaven, not on earth. Don't store it here where moths and rust will destroy or thieves will break in and steal. He says, store it up in heaven. He's always exhorting people and telling us over and over about rewards. He ain't afraid to talk about it. So we need to also talk about it. That would actually be, as we're doing some topical series here, um, topical sermons uh, going in from now into January, that would actually be a good sermon. I haven't crafted that one together yet, but the reward seat—what is it going to look like? How are we going to be rewarded? It's going to be rewarded according to what we've done. So, part of our responsibility here at the church uh, of the of the uh, deacon board and leaders, myself and Gerald and staff, is to provide opportunities for you to be rewarded, to find your way to be rewarded. Christ is going to reward you. This is a big thing going on. That tree, that's nothing compared to Christ's kingdom. This is is the biggest work you can be involved with, is building Christ's church. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more significant. There's nothing more eternal or powerful than being involved with the work of Jesus Christ. Best part is. Then he's going to turn around. After all his grace, Paul said that it's not me who labors, but Christ who labors within me after all this grace of working through you, he's going to reward you for it. Boy, we've got a great God. It's marvelous. Why has it taken so long to build this kingdom? Why are, why are we waiting so long? I can give you one reason. If Christ would have returned back in the year 2000, my wife and I would be in hell right now. I praise God that he delayed, that he waited until someone had the chance to share with us. Amen. Gigi back there, amen. So he He, he waits out of mercy, out of grace, out of love for us to share. That's one reason. Uh, he delays for one other reason. He's going to establish his reign, um, But he offers us in this meantime to uh, serve him and be rewarded. He offers us this huge window of opportunity to to name the name of Christ. And however God leads you to do that, it may be completely different than anything that we talked about here today. But God's going to reward you. He's given you this time, and you know you talk about the Bible. Jesus Christ's return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And we know that. But we're like, well, it's really been taking a long time. Why is there so much emphasis on the urgency and, and the fact that Jesus' return could happen at any moment? Because it could. It could happen for you and me, and it will. If it isn't by his returning, it could be by a car accident pulling out here on the road, and it could be the end of our window. It could, hap- it, it could be the end. He doesn't have to come back for our window to be closed. Provides a lot of opportunities over two thousand years in this church, in this in this huge tree, this huge work of scattering seeds and and people coming in and fertilizing it and tending it and taking care of it, and spreading the seeds that fall from that tree. We have the apostles. We have first century saints like uh, Cornelius. We have uh, the church fathers: Tertullian, Saint Augustine. Um, See, I wrote down Martin Luther, John Calvin, Dwight Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby. She had her window. I forget how many hymns she wrote to praise God with. Tony Evans, still preaching today in Dallas. All these people have seized that window. We have a window as well. We have a window to scatter seed. We have an opportunity it's fun, it's enjoyable, it gives a sense of, of uh, appreciation to Christ and uh, it is, is really the most wonderful thing in whatever way God is using you to serve Christ, to name him. Use your window, use your window. Well, God bless you all. It's been a wonderful week been a wonderful thanksgiving we have christmas coming you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to talk to people about what christmas is i haven't picked out my cards yet i always love uh, sending something with a scriptural message on it we know that is the seed that you that you sow um, it is another opportunity it's another window so i love christmas and i'll be rejoicing a lot this month especially since i'm now about over my cold and <laughs> And I haven't been using the hands-free mic because I don't want to cough right into it. I want to be able to turn away, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Folks, God bless you this Christmas season. God bless you Thanksgiving and the holidays and all the opportunities that he is going to bring, God's going to bring to you to uh, point to the majesty of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me?